Exploration and exploitation often pull companies in different directions, and it's difficult to excel at both simultaneously. In the long term, of course, it's strictly necessary to both run the business and reinvent the business. According to research conducted by Knut Harness, Dean of the Global Leadership Institute of the World Economic Forum, just 2% of companies consistently outperform their peers on both growth and profitability during both good and bad times. I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the BCG Henderson Institute, BCG Strategy Think Tank. Knut Harness is joining me today to discuss the 2% companies. Welcome, Knut. Thank you, Martin. Today we're going to be talking about the 2% company. You wrote this interesting piece a few years ago called the 2% company. Could you explain to us what you mean by 2% company? Yes. Uh, we actually found that only 2% of all companies are able to excellently drive innovation and efficiency at the same time. We find many companies being great at innovation. We find many companies being great at efficiency, but only 2% are great at both at the same time. So you're looking for some sort of combination of the uh, the growth and the innovativeness of a Silicon Valley company and the profitability of an incumbent uh, company, that, that, that sort of idea? That's right. All of it inside of a, of a company. And uh, that's what we think of as renewal, being able to be better and better at what we do and shaping our future at the same time. That seems like a fairly simple idea, walking and chewing gum at the same time, innovating uh, and running. Um, 2% suggest that it's very hard. What's, what's very hard about that? Well, you know, what's very hard about it is uh, when we're good at something, we don't want to change. It's the most tempting things to do tomorrow, thing to do tomorrow. Uh, we are competent, we know what we're doing, and it works. The problem is, at some point in time, it will be obsolete. We will be outcompeted. So being able to do that, but at the same time being able to experiment, test out new ideas, shape the future, collaborate, and create the kind of opportunities we need for the future. That's what makes it difficult. Can't we just wait until um, our current business model fails? Or is it important to be doing this, uh, this thing? I think you call it ambidexterity. Is it important to be doing that continuously and preemptively? We got to do it at the same time. Uh, the reason we got to do it at the same time is that most new ideas are not good. And most new ideas are not new. So we need to continuously experiment because when we need them, we can't start them the same day. We need the flow of good ideas. And, and I think here we can use an example from uh, uh, animal life. The best way for an old horse to stay young is to be together with the young horse in the same barn because then you jump around and run, etc. Same thing with companies. So it's linked to the idea of diversity in some ways then? It's linked to the idea of the diversity, it's linked to the idea of interrelationships, and it's linked to the idea of what really drives innovation. Why do some companies, or especially larger companies or established companies, tend to focus more on performance than what we call vitality, which is the capacity for future performance? Well, I find that, uh, first of all, I find that companies, great companies are very impressive. They're able to adapt, they're agile, given their big size, they're able to absorb what's going on, etc. But I think there's still a temptation to take a, a time perspective, which is maybe shorter than we would like it to be. And what I mean is, uh, if we think about innovation and efficiency, it is actually a way of measuring the time perspective we have. And we find that great companies are able to think about the longer term, the medium term and the short term at the same time. And I think that's really the art. 
So you looked at these companies, these 2% companies. What, what sort of patterns of uh, success did you find? How, how, how did they achieve ambidexterity? Were there different formulae? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, the, the one thing I would definitely say is that the best way to, to survive long term is by not focusing on survival. It is by focusing on renewal. Second thing I would say is uh, there are some traps there. So we find that the companies who are able to be successful over time are they don't become introverted when they're successful. Uh, they don't think they have to drive all their innovations themselves. They can look at innovations outside and you know bring them into the company's partner acquire etc. They don't uh, look at the they don't look at the uh, disruptions necessarily as a threat. They look at it as a time thing. How can we move at the right time, learning in the right way? So I think there there are patterns definitely, and another pattern is of course that they they are able to think long-term and short-term. And I, I think that's kind of the essence of the 2% companies, whether it's uh, an Amazon, whether it's uh, Zara or, you know, all other great companies, Lego, etc. So you defined, um, you identified a couple of models. Uh, you talked about the freeze time frame model, the no regrets model, the commercializer model, different ways of achieving this 2% uh, uh, characteristic. Um, could you tell us about some of those models? Yeah, I think yeah, I think the model which I'm most interested in, but but there are many. But the model which I, I think is most gen general and most interesting is the model that says uh, uh, we uh, live out of innovation, but most of the innovations we'll live out of in the future doesn't come from the inside. So our role is actually to understand what we're good at and then scan the world for relevant ideas. So we are, our mindset is that of commercializing. Our mindset is not of that of uh, developing everything inside. And, so and this I, is what you call the commercializer model. That's I think. the commercializer model. Um, and then I think another one of the models you, you talked about was the no regrets model. Could you tell us about that one? Yeah, so, so the no regrets model is, uh, is actually saying that uh, we own a space and in that space, uh, we uh, we want to be understanding and being be involved in everything that happens. So whether it's taking a small stake of it, whether it's just scanning it, or whether it's acquiring, everything that happens in our market space, we want to be involved in. And and that way, if we fast forward ten years and look back, we don't have any regrets because at least we understand and understood at the time the things that were happening. So, so that presumably means that sometimes you actually place some bets on things that may be counter to your current business model. Yeah, I think you have to look at the, the overall market. And, and I think uh, uh, if we look at companies who are able to navigate renewal, and I think companies, and, and uh, if I, I mentioned a couple. So we always talk about Amazon, but I'm very impressed by Amazon. The ability Amazon has had to drive renewal and test out new things and even test out things that turned out not to be successful but at the same time convert that into permanent performance improvement and i think that's what they do extremely well uh, other companies do it differently so i mentioned sarah sarah has a model where they're incredibly good at actually very fast learning from the signals of the market so they need to be efficient and fast, but they also need to be very open to whatever happens on the, on the consumer side. And, and I think, again, that makes them a 2% company.
So if I'm a leader thinking, this sounds like a good thing, uh, I, I want to become a 2% company, uh, where would you start? What would be some enabling actions or a, a path to get from being a performance-focused company to a performance and vitality-focused company? Yeah, so if I was the CEO, I, I would start by looking at my team. Uh, we know that uh, you know individuals have different balances. Some of us are kind of more wedded to the current and some are more wedded to exploring the future. So I want a team that's actually composed in a way which fits with the needs of our business. Many teams are probably a little bit too much focused on just being better at what we do, not challenging themselves. So, so in a way you're saying the ambidextrous company starts with an ambidextrous top team. Absolutely. And, and let's take a look at it. I mean, if we think about great examples over time, there's Steve, but there's also Steve, right, in Apple. There is Bill, but there's also Paul, Alan, right? Uh, and whatever big companies, company we look at, we tend to think there's the founder. But when we look closely, there's the founder and somebody else. There's very, it's very often the team, the explorer and the one that actually makes things happen on the ground in reality a little bit better every day. So I, I'm a big fan of looking at the, at the team. When we take the team and get the team right, we get the organization right, and then we get the, the balance right. Well, thanks very much, Knut, for sharing with us today your ideas on the 2% company. Much appreciated. Thank you, Martin.